Hello and welcome to a, a, a coronation special of the world's best uh, podcast, Football Unfocused. Uh, this week, uh, as you'd expect from such uh, proud uh, citizens of uh, Britain, uh, we are devoting the entire episode to uh, His Majesty and the service that he will be providing to this great, great country of ours, Great Britain. Uh, and uh, all of the content will be in honour of His Majesty and the ceremony that is taking place tomorrow as we record this on a Friday evening. Because of this, uh, we have made a couple of very significant changes to uh, Football Unfocused this week. Uh, firstly, Matthew and I, I'm Mark, that's Matthew. Hello. 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 <laughs> We're just saying not to talk over each other. Yeah, and it's gone and done it. But we are actually recording it sitting next to each other in Chateau Mark in uh, East London. Matt has uh, come down from the lofty heights of uh, Glossop and is uh, sitting round my living room table and it's a pleasure to have him here but even more exciting than that for the first time in football unfocused history we have a third wheel a third leg somebody who i share my life with in so many ways somebody with whom i have introduced a lodger into our house over the last uh, nine months somebody who you could argue i wouldn't have been able to introduce that lodger without the assistance of and fundamental assistance it, tru- <laughs> it truly was uh this is none other than my life partner kelly hello <laughs> <laughs> that's it yeah against my will and my better judgment but are you are you happy are you honoured to be on, on the world's leading podcast um, <laughs> have you seen when I get there when I get there I'll let you know oh, it's that sort of cutting edge banter <laughs> that's going to bring in the millions of listeners it really is um, so as you know Kelly obviously I know you're a regular listener I mean you've listened at least <laughs> twice over the last three years that we've been doing this show uh, I like to begin these podcasts by asking Matthew some very personal and insightful questions about himself um, because he doesn't necessarily contribute as much as uh, he possibly could, should, would uh, on the football stuff, uh, which is, of course, the reason that this podcast is produced. So I like to open him up uh, and really get into his guts with a uh, some revealing questions. Matthew. We're going to do one for Kelly as well, aren't we? Absolutely not. Well, she, she can ask you a question, yeah. Once, well, once I, I finish I, my I questions, practicing your wedding speech at one point, just when you're introducing, <laughs> uh, it'd be pretty weird if I began. <laughs> yeah, if I began a wedding speech by saying, "Welcome to the world's leading football yeah, podcast." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the entry of my lodger to the world. <laughs> I mean, that is pure. That is yeah, I feel really special. Well, yeah. So you should. You're a, you're a very uh, very lucky lady. Yeah. As you know. Um, as I've been told. Yeah. Well, as as, as you. By Mark. Yeah. As, yeah. Yeah, t- told slash no. Or, slash already knew. Okay, uh, come on, come on. Ma- Matthew. Is this a funny? <laughs> yeah. Is this what you say when you listen to the podcast? Oh, I oh, come on, come on, come on. Listen to the links he will go to to avoid answering these questions. Oh, He's just doing anything he can to yeah. engage you. So, you know, we should have discussed strategy before recording this. It's like a police interview. We're the interrogators, and this prick is on a fucking leash. Yeah. Matthew, just be- right because this is coronation uh, weekend. 
These are going to have a, uh, a royal twist in honour of uh, His Majesty King Charles III, who is being okay, crowned a uh, gracious leader tomorrow. Matthew, question one. Do you like quiche? Um, Jerry, Jerry Mason quiche uh, the other day. It wasn't a royal quiche, but she. it was... Um, yeah, yeah, I do. It was tofu quiche. Tofu quiche? Yeah. With yeah. no egg, I'm assuming? No, uh, no egg substitute. What is egg substitute? Is, I don't know, it comes in a powder. It's, it's, it's nice. It, I think it, there's no flavour to it per se. It's more the um, what it does to whatever it put in. What does um, it do? Because you can use like chickpea water, aquafaba. Yeah, yeah, there you go. This is, this, is, this is why Kelly should be answering these questions. Mm, so, really? Yeah, no, so yeah, I like, I like quiche. I probably liked it more when I was a student. It was quite a staple. Well, when you weren't a vegan. Yeah. So you yeah, could yeah. actually bo- well. have some quiche that... Tasted of something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing because quiche is nice, but it's not. You never, you never feel. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that in a in a in an old school kind of uh, what's the word patriarchy driven world. As a man, you probably feel it's not. <laughs> it's not like you don't go. You're not. You're not down the pub. Go, come on, lads. <laughs> get, get some yeah, quiche down here. Yeah, quiche. Four more quiches, please. One large quiche. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what, yeah, like, was coronation chicken, was that, like, of a level of quiche when we... Well, I think coronation stri- chicken was regarded as quite risque in those days because they were introducing yeah. an element of spice and therefore flavour into a now what we regard as a British delicacy. In 1953, that would have been well, British, like revolution. British delicacy was chicken. Well, no, but like in 1953, when basically everyone was just still eating coal or whatever shite they ate in those days. Eating, it's... What well, they fucking were, weren't they? You know, <laughs> if you ever listen to this fucking podcast, um, um, yeah. we because uh, I don't know, how, I don't know how common ash treatments made. There's fucking coriander in it or something, isn't yeah, there? Well, like, it's curry powder. Exactly. Um, sultanas. And so that would have been the first time that a quote national dish had included some spice, some actual flavour. Before then, people were just people. Yeah, <laughs> people were drowning in beef dripping and yeah. fucking lard. <laughs> Right, so you do like quiche, yeah, is yeah, the Right, second question. <laughs> Matthew, this is in honour of um, His Majesty King Charles III. Matthew, yeah. if your uh, brother or a very close ma- family member were a, a definite 100% confirmed uh, uh, nonce and, hu- <laughs> and hung around with a convicted uh, paedophile who had uh, uh, molested uh, dozens and dozens of children on a private island, uh, would you, and, 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 and this family member or, or brother of yours had felt the need, even despite being completely innocent, to spend about £15 million of his own money to... Uh, shut up the person accusing him of being a, a non-slash uh, paedophile um, would you A protect him and uh, subtly over a period of time push him back towards the sort of front line and spotlight and try and rehabilitate his uh, his reputation or B uh, run for the hills and do all you can to make sure that he faces the, uh, the uh, <laughs> consequences of his disgusting lifestyle choices <laughs> yeah who um is it? It's Paul Schofield. He, his brother, is recently. Oh, um, Do you mean Philip Schofield? Philip, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. his brother might be called Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's. Was it Paul? I've got no idea. No, no. So, yeah, he, I think he had Bill, the same. Phil and Bill Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> he had the same conflict in 
Um, yeah. And now he's dis- he's descending, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't the quite subtle difference that um, um, we're not paying out of our own fucking taxes does, yeah, for Philip Schofield's <laughs> brother to carry on noncing around the world? No, well, I think he's in prison now. He does, yeah. Oh, well, president's president. Yeah, so are you suggesting nice. that Phil Schofield is, a, is an example to King Charles III? Go, go, go on the record. You're speaking on behalf of the Republic of Ireland here. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I know what they'd say, but I'm just going to... No, no, no. This podcast... Come on. We're going for the fucking... The clickbait audience here, right? If this podcast is anything, it, it has opinions. And it's not scared to fucking spout them loudly. You're not. No, no. They're fucking right. So... So I... Are you, like our royal family, uh, keen on protecting nonces, or would you uh, would you not protect the nonce? I mean, I don't think my brother would listen to, is listening to this. So. It doesn't have to be your actual brother. We're talking hypothetically oh, right. here. Hypothetical brothers. Yeah, let's just imagine your brother was called. Uh, just gonna. Yeah, exactly. It's got nothing to do with your brother. In fact, I don't think so. Let's pretend you don't even have a brother. <laughs> investigation you know, let's, say, let's say for the purposes of this podcast I'm just going to pick a name at random let's say your brother you had a brother called uh, oh, Andrew um, <laughs> let's say you had a brother called Andy Handy Andy um, Handsy Andy uh, would you protect uh, that brother if he was a, a definite nonce I think I'd encourage him to I, ge- I probably genuinely would try and encourage him don't <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> To spend 15 million quid. Yeah, I think... Oh, oh, no, I was going to say, get get some help. I get some... Is that what pedos need with the help? It's a question. Would you... Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what was... So what is it? Uh, run, probably the latter. If I had to choose those two options, it would be the run for the hills. What, and then grass them? Like, send them down? No, no, no. Try and get them to get some help. No, 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 no. So you think they, they need help rather than incarceration? Oh, well... Probably a bit of both. Well, a bit of help, uh, help whilst <laughs> incarcerated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Help, help, but whilst whilst under Banged up. Uh, in a medicated <laughs> state, <laughs> sort of chained to a chair. Good, good. Uh, question three, Matthew. Um, why are you? Well, oh, oh, this is one of those I have to work out. The no, well, it's not really working out. It's quite simple. Why are you? Why? Oh. Um, well. The same reason as your lodger is why is he? You know, <laughs> what do you mean? We are all from. Oh, no, this is too hard. This is too hard. This is one for Kelly. It's why too hard me? to answer the question. Why are you? Yeah. And I love the way he, he just deflects. He just yeah, deflects. Oh, that's what he does. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like tr- it's like trying to nail Carlos the jackal. It really is every fucking week. Yeah. And I love the way he interpreted the question, why are you, as a, a literal, like, why, how were you why, created? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could have been anything. It could have been why you like the way you are, why are you here now. It could have, he, he, he could have taken it in all sorts of surreal directions, but he's taken it down to the core of, you know, reproductive consequences. Wow. Says a lot about how he thinks. Yeah, yes. Should we continue to just psychoanalyze him while he's sitting next I think to us? So. I think that's yeah. better than football. Good. Okay. So, so, so let's talk well, about football. Nicely into football. Yeah. Let's 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 talk, let's have a chat about football. <laughs> now, obviously, normally anyone who's ever listened to this podcast before will know that I tend to just sort of now bang on for about twenty minutes uh, about a subject that's uh, uh, either. Uh, uh, sort of tickled my fancy or enraged me or amused me or whatever in, over the last week or a subject that I've sort of brought to the table um, 
but uh, and the reason I have to do that is because my podcast co-host and uh, and dear friend Matthew, who's just picked up a glass from a coaster uh, that was, and the glass was slightly stuck to the coaster, and he sort of knocked it and made a noise. <laughs> despite despite the noise. fact that moments before then he was uh, lambasting uh, Kelly for playing with a sweet wrapper. Uh, so yeah. like literally like like in school they're like don't yeah. <laughs> don't do that. I used to be a teacher. Is that a good okay. idea? Well you both both teachers, yeah. 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 Uh, what does that make me? <laughs> Moving on. So <laughs> the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, yeah. So there is an opportunity this week that that, that I might actually have a, a, a stimulating chat about football because my uh, life partner and uh, co-owner of uh, the lodger uh, actually has more than a passing interest in football and uh, quite impressive knowledge, even if I do say so, without wanting to sound uh, massively patronising. Um, so the first thing I would like to talk about is so. Uh, I'm sure we're all agreed. We're all agreed. How could you not be agreed that the best way to honour the crowning of our dear Lord uh, King Charles the Third? This dear Lord, this, King Charles indeed, Lord, Lord. I think Lord isn't stretching it too far. Our, our Creator, our, our Muse, our—he's our everything. Um, is to uh, stand around in packed football grounds over the rest of this weekend and sing the national anthem, which has been renamed. I don't know if you've heard, God Save the King, um, which is a great, it's not the most original title since the last one was called God Save the Queen, but, you know, <laughs> they've found a trend. They're, they're, you know, they think it works. They're, they're sticking to it. Um, now, I'm gonna, I suppose I'm going to be relatively serious about this because, right, I, I, I as it may not be surprising to um to uh reveal uh have a bit of a problem with this because as a support of liverpool football club i think anyone who's even been paying half attention over the last year or so knows that typically when the uh the uk national anthem as it is the uk national anthem not just a English national anthem. It's the national anthem for the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, of course. And Northern Ireland use it themselves for their fucking uh, football uh, national anthem. Um, when that anthem gets played at an event, at events uh, attended by Liverpool fans, it tends to be greeted with a level of hostility that some people find surprising so last season at both the league cup final and the fa cup final both against chelsea who ironically are are as a club in pretty much every conceivable way the diametric opposite to uh, liverpool in that they are a club that are intrinsically linked with sort of english nationalism and right-wing politics um and as demonstrated by their sort of Headhunting behaviour in the sort of seventies and eighties, and the various examples that I could go in over years, but won't. Right up until you know, quite recently, you know, actions on the Paris subway. Um, but uh, so it really then, I think, brought it into even sharper focus that you have one set of fans at that at those particular matches who are you know classic, bring the St George's flag right the place of your. Uh, hometown on the down the middle of it, and you know it's it's essentially England fans, but uh, you know on a club level, and then Liverpool, who 
identify themselves and represent themselves very separately from the majority of the rest of the, uh, the certainly the English football pyramid. But a very specific reason for that, and that is because over, particularly from the ni- late 1970s onwards, but all the way through the 1980s and up to and culminating in the awful disaster at Hillsborough in 1989, Liverpool was treated by the Thatcher government as a, essentially like 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 a an unwanted boil that needed lancing. It was an economic decline because of the... Um, the uh, dockyards being, um, you know, not as in- industrially important to the nation as they used to be. Unemployment went sky high. Social deprivation, drug addiction, all of those things were out of control. And Liverpool, there was a theory among the Tory government at that time, sort of spearheaded at one stage by Michael Heseltine, that the there, there should genuinely be a policy of managed decline. So they should accept that Liverpool was a city that is kind of like beyond help and allow it to decline and sort of, you know, help people to essentially relocate and sort of start again somewhere else. And then, of course, the Hillsborough disaster is the biggest example, certainly modern British history, of a almost every kind of element of the state, the establishment in this country, um, being responsible for causing death by negligence, which in itself is sort of unforgivable, but then using every kind of power lever that they have to cover up the truth, to point blame at victims, to undermine um, and disrespect the memories of dead people, to pour, you know, untold levels of um, grief upon families who had already had their lives torn apart. And that went on for a period of 30 years and brave uh, people who were prepared to, you know, push themselves to the verge of insanity and economic bankruptcy in order to um, uh, pursue the course of justice took 30 years. It took 30 years until the lies that were told about them and the various instruments of state and the lies that they told were rolled back for then, you know, the 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 sort of the, the truth to come out and the verdict of uh, killing unlawful killing was um, officially placed on every poor soul who died on that day. As a result of that, I think it's fair to say that Liv- the people of Liverpool and people associated with Liverpool Football Club have got pretty good reason not to feel that closely associated with the British state and the English state and the the, the institutions and the establishment that sort of defines England most specifically as a nation. That is why, that is one of the many reasons why, but probably the most acute reason why the English national anthem does not get well received by Liverpool. Liverpool is a place that thinks of itself as separate from the rest of England and the rest of the United Kingdom. They don't a lot of people there most I'd say more than fifty percent of the people there don't support the English national team. They often they'll chant we're not English, we are Scouse. They despise the Tories probably more than any other part of the UK. You know, most every single Liverpool game the song Fuck the Tories is chanted relentlessly. Um so is it then any surprise that they they see a song that is essentially a celebration of the establishment of 
you know, the monarchy and everything about the sort of British state as as basically offensive and something that is, you know, against everything that they stand for. So they've decided tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this, or a few days ago, in all likelihood, if you know when you, whenever anyone listens to this uh, this shit, that um, that they're going to play the national anthem before every single match, including at Anfield. Liverpool as a club have clearly pushed back against this. And I've seen already what's going to be printed in the, the sort of programme and on social media where, they're, they're, you know, the way that the club statement have worded it, it's pretty obvious that they've they've fought really hard to say, look, don't put us in this position, please. It's going to get booed by Liverpool fans. And then obviously that, <laughs> this is the problem. This is the crux of my problem with it. It's not the fact that the anthem is going to get booed because, you know, if, if we lived in a world where people could rationally and calmly and intelligently listen to a reaction like that and say, okay, you know what, fair enough, they've got their own very specific reasons, they booed it, that's their right to to do that, let's move on. But we don't live in that world. So what will happen, inevitably tomorrow, you can can see a mile off, is that match will get heavily focused on, the anthem will get played, it will be roundly booed through, through quite a large percentage of the people in the ground, and then social media will absolutely kick off, and the same sort of people... The, the very predictable um, uh, types of people, the same sort of people who think it's fine to sing Always the Victim, It's Never Your Fault in, in football grounds, referencing directly to Hillsborough Disaster, will go on social media and they'll spout off wherever they can in you know podcasts and YouTube channels and all that sort of stuff, saying, how can Liverpool fans um, moan about people singing songs that are... Um, uh, disrespecting victims of disaster when they can't even respect the national anthem of their country. Now, there's millions of ways to attack that. Not least the fact that the national anthem isn't a um, isn't specifically related to uh, a, you know a disaster where 97 innocent people were crushed to death. Um, and so, therefore, I, I think there's a massive difference between a righteous objection and opposition to a national anthem and. Not partic- not wanting to have horrible songs about you know dead friends and relatives being um, sung at you, but that is what w- that is what is going to happen, and it, it angers me already, even before it's even happened, that it's going to give the wrong sort of people the opportunity to spout off the most narrow-minded, awful bollocks to justify singing horrendous songs about dead people on the basis that Liverpool fans won't respect the national anthem and very very few if any of those people will make the effort to properly try and engage with the subject and to understand why Liverpool fans feel that way about the national anthem reacting that way to the national anthem they didn't make any attempt to understand it last year and I'm sure it'll be even worse tomorrow because the coronation let's face it is going to be a day where you know jingoism and nationalism and all of those things is going to be an all-time high people are going to be whipped up on quiche and uh, it's it's going to be all over the fucking shop. So I don't know whether either of my co-contributors have any feelings on that. Uh, what did it say? So, what did it say in the? What did you said? Oh, they worded it specifically in a way that showed that they weren't. Yeah, I mean, I've got it. I've got basically it. Basically, like that, the Premier League. We, we've been asked to do this. We don't particularly uh, want to, but yeah, without yeah. without actually saying that. That is that is what they've yeah. they've said. Hold on, I'll uh, I'll <laughs> but find. But they left it very open to be like, 
you have your own kind of you have your own feelings on the anthem so do what you want to do basically says here coronation before kickoff and in recognition of the premier league's request to mark the coronation players and officials will congregate around the center circle when the national anthem will be played it is of course a personal choice how those at anfield on saturday mark this occasion and we know some supporters have strong views on it so that to me is the owners essentially order you know staff at the club saying look we know what you're going to feel about this. We know what you're going to do. The Premier League have told us to do this, and this is what's happening. But I think that's a really good statement to make. Yeah. Because it's not... It's respecting that, yeah, like, the supporters of that particular club have very strong views on it and probably will act in a particular way, but they're not shaming them for doing it. No, but that's 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 Liverpool, though. That's yeah, not that's, that's, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, Liverpool are not stupid. They know yeah. better than to, you know take the side of the Premier League against their own supporters, don't they? And to be fair, you know, there's lots of things that people object to about the current ownership of Liverpool, but on the subject of Hillsborough, they've always been pretty on point in terms of, you know, very good at kind of, you know, respecting it and kind of doing the right thing in every way. But it's the, it's the, I know that we live in a very kind of polarised world where, you know, everything is so black and white and adversarial, but the, the predictability with which this, you know, by this time tomorrow, the game kicks off at half past five tomorrow. So by 5.25, when that national anthem is played, it, Twitter will be all over the shop. People will be talking about what a disgrace Liverpool fans are and, and and uh, you know, the, the usual suspects, like the Daily Mail, the Daily Express uh, and the Murdoch Press. Yeah, but they've written it all before. They have, but this is the day of the coronation. And this is, you know, to people who give a shit about this sort of bollocks, this is a massive day. This is something that hasn't happened in like 70 years. So they'll say, even on this day, could they not have toned down their petty grievances for, you know, to honour the king and to, you know, on a day where people were supposed to be coming together, they're emphasising the divisions. That is what people will say. You know that's true, don't you, Matt? I mean, come on. (laughs) You see enough. I'm not on Facebook. I've no. got no. an alias set up, yeah. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but you, you've been on Twitter before. You've looked on Twitter. You've seen the way that fucking conversations work on there. It's not known for its nuance, is it? And its uh, <laughs> reason debate. So will Liverpool be the only ones, you think, who will, who will boo? I'd imagine you? so, because I can't think of any... I can't think of any reason why any other club... What about Everton? Maybe but they're not at home, so they're away. So you might get the away end of wherever they're playing right. this weekend. I can't actually remember who they're playing this weekend. Um, yeah, you might get the odd away end and the odd person. I mean, I personally think that, you know, on the day of the coronation, you're playing that national anthem, regardless of how you feel about the... Even if you're someone who... Because I, I, I don't feel a, a I complete lack. I think it's a bit disrespectful that you're playing football during the coronation. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not during the coronation. All the games are being played later tomorrow. Oh, that's better then. So they all kick off at three and then there's one at half five. Because I'm assuming the coronation must be in late morning, is it? I mean, I... I think it is. Well, the fly pass is at half two. Yeah. And that's the only part I care about. <laughs> so for the purposes of the tape, uh, Kelly is uh, not somebody who will necessarily be 
desperate to see the coronation tomorrow, but he's very keen on airplanes. <laughs> and we happen to li- we happen to live on the flight path of so whenever there's royal shit going on on the mail uh, for like was it the, the troubling of the, the colour or that yeah, box every every, every sort of yeah, that, yeah so the, the, like when the red arrows and the, all the all the bombers and all these ceremonial killing machines come zooming across oh, London well they are well they are aren't they but they come from a, I'm assuming they come from an RAF base which is sort of east yeah so it's out in Essex so it's east of where we are and they literally come normally quite low flying directly over our backyard I don't they I looking at the flight path that they take I, I can't remember where they started but they come around I think out by Norwich yeah. Norfolk and then back in yeah which is very interesting but we're a long way down from Norfolk though. you've got to get in no, no, come no, around you have to come around then, yeah I suppose the genius of, of their route is that they're equidistant between London and Norwich that really is even though I, I, I don't watch it and I do hate it um uh, partridge, partridge. That one's for you, Gibbo. Uh, the travel tavern and like having your own plate. Yeah, but I, thought, well, I don't know enough. To yeah, and, and also, how do you make a big plate about about planes? Uh, just, <laughs> I don't know how you do that. Um, yeah, so, so they have separated out the matter a bit. Yeah, so because of that, uh, on a normal Saturday. The way one of the ways that they because I think we discussed a lot of this. You know, remember how during the um, lockdown every game was allowed to be shown live on telly because no one could go and watch it live. So they, but, but, but under normal circumstances, Saturday at three o'clock is the protected kickoff spot for match attending fans. So if you want to watch a match in that at that time, you have to go to the game. And if you want to show it on TV, the TV companies have to pay to move the kickoff time to another day and another. Uh, another slot I never understood that actually why is it so protected because they want to I think it's personally a good thing I know yeah, but if, if it, we're in an age now where everyone wants to make money yeah like you the, the teams want to make money the TV companies want to make money yeah. why don't they just like well I think you could argue that less is more so if you made every single match available maybe then you weaken the, the product and you, you know, if it, it becomes more if it becomes more common, more more numerous, and you can watch any every single match, then the ones that are then shown on TV are not maybe as interesting. It could also have... An, the product is only valuable to be sold around the world as a TV um, as a TV fix on the basis it looks good. So people love the Premier League because all the pitches look amazing and the stadiums are full and they, they're noisy. They, you know, they come from speakers and they sound great. If suddenly every single game was available, let's just say... Not maybe for like the really top teams who are doing well, but let's just say you're having a disappointing season. Let's say you're... Oh, let's pick a random example. Oh, Chelsea. Right? Let's say you're Frank okay, Lampard's like Chelsea. Everton, West Ham. <laughs> no, let's just say you're... No, no, because they... No, no, because Everton and West Ham are in relegation battles, so they've got something to kind of fight yeah. for. But let's just say you're... <laughs> yeah. No, but let's just say that you're um, uh, support Chelsea, managed by uh, Tory Frank Lampard. Uh, um, and, you know, so you're, so you're watching... No, no, oh, no, he's a Tory, all right? He's a hundred percent confirmed Tory. He'll be all over the coronation tomorrow. He's probably if he's not been invited, and if he hasn't, he'll be Why furious because he he's Frank Lampard, isn't he? <laughs> but if he's not um, personally been invited, then I'm assuming he'll be sort of standing somewhere in the vicinity, furiously masturbating publicly whilst uh, whilst sort of, <laughs> while, while just thinking about how many Tories there are within a couple of square meters of him, um, uh, and he'll have his British flag in the other hand. Probably with like Guildford written across the middle of it, um, 
but or or captain leader legend about his best pal, the racist John Terry. Um, but um, uh, let's just say you are Chelsea, for example, and you're having by their standards. Obviously, they're normally like a winning machine. They're either they're either in the title race or title winners, and they'll have won a cup and be in latter stages of European competition. And this season, clearly, they're likely to finish in the bottom half, and they're going to win nothing. So this is a diabolically bad season. Even if you've got a season ticket, if every match was available just to watch on telly, you're going to stop turning up. I don't know if you would. You definitely would. I don't know. You definitely would. Would you? If Liverpool were having... Like, okay, we'll take it for kind of what it is. I'm most, not a good example most, of that because I'm a fanatic. Most... <laughs> most people no, I know there, would. No, but there are lots of people who are just like you. Right? Yeah, there are, yeah, yeah. And Chelsea are the kind of... Well, I, I think they're the kind of club that most of their supporters don't live too far away. Yeah, most yeah. get like a training from Kent or Surrey or yeah, wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't live too far away. Do you think that that would still have a massive impact on them not bothering? Yeah, it doesn't have to be loads. I'm not saying half the stadium would be empty, but I'm saying they'd probably you'd, you'd get patches of empty seats because people would just lose interest. They'd be like, oh, you know, because don't forget it's an expensive business. But there's always a market to sell your ticket then. Yeah, but that even that diminishes. Even look, even now, yeah, when the games aren't all on TV. Chelsea, um, I've noticed in recent matches, obviously they've been losing like all, all their all their games, all their home games. There are there are noticeable gaps in the in the stand. Manchester City, probably the best team in bloody Europe, and have been for most of the last seven or eight years. You know their stadium gets disparagingly called the 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 empty ad all the time because they they often don't fill it and they have empty seats. So that that's gonna that problem only gets exacerbated even more if every single match is live on telly because all of a sudden. Do you need to go to a midweek Champions League group game in a group where you've already qualified and you know you're you're at home no, to Shakhtar Donetsk? I mean, it's, we're specifically talking about the three game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. A uh, you're 15 points clear in the Premier League. You're you've got your third home game in a month that is the month before Christmas, where things are really expensive, and you're at home to uh, Bournemouth. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it would it, it would definitely definitely in my opinion have an impact. Plus, also, so much of the sanctity of, you know, as somebody who looks at football from the point of view of, you know, I, I am admittedly old school on this. In the, in my opinion, a proper football fan goes to football matches. And if you don't go to football matches, you're not a proper football fan. Well, we've had our conversations about Indeed. that before. Indeed. You know, but that, but that, that's my opinion. And I'm... Yeah, it's so. funny how the, yeah, but the people who people who don't believe in that are the ones who don't go to games. It's funny that. Yeah, um, me. <laughs> no, no, no. But you're no, but you're, you're you're different, and you do come to you know. Um, well, it's different now. We've got a lodger, um, but um, uh, yeah. So I look at things from the point of view of the, the match tending fan, and I love the fact that Saturday at three o'clock is a time that you're only seeing what's going on in those stadiums, and if you're there. And if not, you've got to wait till match of the day. It's one of the few things that are still quite beautiful and traditional. But there's so much of foot, what made football great in the first place has been kind of stripped away by sort of commercialism and everything being sort of sold to the highest bidder. I love the fact that though there are some weeks where there'll only be like three games at three o'clock on a Saturday because, you know, teams that are playing in the Europa League have to play their games on yeah. Sunday. And if they're not chosen for the live fixture, then there'll often be four or five games on a Sunday, then a Monday night game, sometimes a Friday night game. So it's an increasingly rare thing anyway. But um, can you see, like, you know, with all this, these TV rights and everything, could you ever see a streaming service like the one that the boxing... I don't know what's that called. Yeah. Um, 
Do you think that would ever work in football? Yeah, I, I definitely think that the days of the um, traditional broadcasters like Sky and BT sort of dominating the the landscape are are over. Like, there's it's an inevitability that at some point all matches are going to be shown on like Amazon and um, Amazon and uh, and all sorts. Just as we record this, by the way, there is a chance that uh, our guest co-host is going to have to. Pop away because uh, I think our lodge is our lodger uh, calling calling for room service. Yeah, I actually thought you were going to go and that me and Matt would continue. Yeah, but well, I mean, you know, (laughs) not that he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't said anything about twenty-five minutes. uh, If Matt were more chivalrous, he would um, he would just pause it and we'd just pick it up once you've uh, once (laughs) you set. He's all right for a minute, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway, continue. I don't know what he wants from the room service menu. He hasn't specified, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be milk-based. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't even now remember. This is becoming increasingly just like a, you know, a it's chat nice. at the end of a night. Why were we even talking about the three o'clock uh, games? But Oh, yeah, sorry. So tomorrow, tomorrow, because of the coronation, they can't have anything clashing with um, the... Um, uh, pedo protecting ceremony, uh, which is, which is, it's not very kind, but it is factually accurate. Uh, uh, that is around lunchtime, I'm assuming. So there, there isn't a lunchtime game. So the game I'm assuming it would have been at lunchtime. Manchester City against Leeds, now managed by the great Sam Allardyce, uh, is being shown at three o'clock live on telly. So tomorrow is a bit of a unique one in that respect, and it is worth picking up on um, Sam Allardyce actually, Matthew, because Matthew. Could you also just reference Napoli? Yeah, we can talk about Napoli at the uh, uh, yeah before we finish. But yeah, but I think no one more than Sam Allardyce would would think that we need to talk about Sam Allardyce (laughs) because uh, Matthew, name I don't know the top in your from your limited knowledge. I've seen the interview. Forget that. Name the top three or four managers in world football, in your opinion. would you? I. So I would say, Conte. Conte, interesting. Mourinho. Wow, you've gone quite old school. But, but then, hard line. So but, not Pep Guardiola, not Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, yeah. Not Jurgen Ancelotti. Klopp. Probably Klopp. I really like. So you don't I, rape Pep Guardiola. Well, <laughs> I think it was Sam Sam Delaney was saying that he doesn't really rape Guardiola. Right. Or was it you? It, it definitely wasn't me. Okay, okay. But yeah, there, there was a... He, he had a theory. I mean, I think he was being a bit of a provocateur, but yeah. he just he just went from one rich club to another. And I mean, that is true. And he's never managed anywhere where he didn't have, you know, up. rich pickings. But I would still argue that... No, I mean, I don't know anything. Yeah. I, he, the way he is... He is he relentlessly gets his teams to play this incredible style of football that tears everyone else to shreds and just wins everything, everything all the time. Yeah. The only thing they don't win consistently is the Champions League. But then, in the defence of Pep Guardiola, firstly he has won the Champions League two or three times with with Barcelona, oh nine and eleven, yeah, so twice with Barcelona. Uh, hasn't won it since. Yeah, maybe you could argue a bit of a stain on his record, but. It is a knockout competition, so there is a randomness to the Champions League. You know, Liverpool won the Champions League in 2005 with a team that contained Jimmy Traore, uh, uh, Steve Finnan, and had uh, players like uh, Igor Biscan and uh, um, 
uh, Vladimir Smicha and Milan Barosh uh, in, in and around the side. <laughs> so, you know, these things, unusual things can happen in that, whereas yeah. they wouldn't in a league. You know, over a 30, no one wins a 38-game league title by luck. Um, but, so, but obviously Allardyce, that's who I meant to You meant to say Sam Allardyce, because yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, I'm sure most people have heard, but um, he has had the audacity as being unveiled as Leeds United's latest uh, latest manager, latest saviour in the last few days, to come in and save Leeds for the last four matches of the season. He has genuinely sat in a press conference and said, no one's better than me, not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. Uh, now, I don't know whether he's been a bit tongue-in-cheek oh, and just trying to so provoke... I was listening to Sandalini, so I was listening to yeah. a lot of Top Life's Time Machine on the way down, and yeah. Sandalini was talking about this, and he was sort of... He was, he was quite um, generous in his interpretation of what yep. Sam uh, Allardyce was saying. He was saying, oh, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yep. He's playing the crowd, blah, blah, blah. But then but then I think about when he his first game after England, he was then trying to... I can't remember what he was trying to do. You mean after he got fired by England yeah, for... Yeah, yeah. ...agreeing to do, like, corrupt shit whilst drinking a pint of wine yeah, and being yeah. secretly filmed. And yeah. it just... And, you know, sort of a lot of people just came out and it's just like, that was pure hubris, like, arrogance. Like, so, I, you know, some I know a lot of people probably do say, oh, he's tongue-in-cheek, he knows exactly what he's doing. But actually, I think he is just a... Just like that. And when he got busted after that, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I'm sure... you know." He said Entrapment made, 1, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Entrapment 1. Newsmakers had the, you know... Yeah. And... Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure. Well, there's one thing that I, I have no doubt about, and that is that Sam Allardyce, f- consistently throughout his managerial career, has not lacked self-confidence. He genuinely... He, now, he might say the stuff comparing himself and saying he's no no he's not inferior to people like Pep and Arteta and Jurgen Klopp. He might be saying that slightly tongue-in-cheek to try to get a reaction, maybe even get a bit of a laugh. But he definitely rates himself as an elite manager. I remember him saying... You know, years ago, when um, uh, he had a he had an ongoing, him and Rafa Benitez did not get on at all, and uh, Rafa used to get really wound up that every time Liverpool played against Sam Allardyce's Bolton Wanderers team, Bolton would just try and kick us off the park, and he, uh, Rafa said, really sarcastically after one, in fact, it might have been when Sam Allardyce was managing Blackburn. And I think they they came to Anfield and got a draw or something, and sat and and Rafa said, like being quite uncharacteristically sarcastic, he sort of said, "Yeah, I'm sure everyone like Barcelona and everyone is going to want to watch that and copy like copy how he plays and want to want to play like that." Um, but but um, Allardyce said around that time in a press conference, if my name was Sam Aladici and I was more, you know, I was more sort of palatable to the football hipsters, I would I would be managing Barcelona or something. The only reason I've not been given an opportunity to do that is because I'm a I'm a sort of, you know, big, brash, brummy uh, called called Big Sam and I'm not I'm therefore not given the respect and I've never been given a club that can t- challenge for like the big stuff. I'm I've, you know, because the thing is, he hasn't always just been a relegation survival specialist. He brought, he built Bolton Ron. To be fair, his job that he did at Bolton Wanderers was pretty unbelievable. You know, he spent a few years managing them in the Championship, got them into the Premier League, where they'd never in the Premier League era survived more than a season, and they became like a mainstay of the top flight, regularly in the top um, sort of six or seven. So fair play to him there. But since then, he's developed a niche of just sort of going and 
save clubs, you know, Sunderland and Crystal Palace. He got West Ham promoted again. And as I believe, you know, you listened to the same thing as me earlier, Sam Delaney, saying he has this sort of begrudge, as a West Ham fan, a begrudging respect for Allardyce because he almost like trolled his own mm. fans because he knew they didn't want him. So West Ham have this thing of going on about the West Ham way. You've got to play the West Ham way. They regard themselves, which is interesting because there's quite a few sort of underachieving slash achieving nothing clubs who regard themselves still as brilliant to watch and entertaining and having these sort of football traditions. There's one I can think of that uh, I think you might know quite closely, uh, Matthew. Um, but uh, and, uh, but Allardyce sort of went in there and goes, as far as I'm concerned, the West Ham tradition is to sort of, you know, be shit and win fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so therefore I'm quite keen to move away from that tradition. And he showed, abs- he, he had, had absolutely, you know, no interest in sort of pandering to West Ham fans and their desire for sort of attractive football. But he was a successful West Ham manager in, in terms of he'd gotten up into the Premier League and, and had him as a very stable club. So that is his kind of thing. I suppose it's a little bit like the Sean Dyche argument. Sean Dyche is always, you know, people people have all the years that Sean Dyche was at Burnley and have said, oh, if he, he, wouldn't, he won't get an opportunity to manage a big club because he's not sort of sexy enough. But is that really the only reason? I mean, oh, well, especially if he takes fucking Everton down. And I think Allardyce, there is no doubt. He, I do think, I don't like him. I'm cards on the table, I don't like him. Never like the way he plays football. His teams are infuriating to play against. Um, and I think he's actually just a bit of a twat. However, just trying to park that bias, I do think his managerial record does does command a certain amount of respect. He does. He is a high-achieving manager for you know pretty much every club other than his last challenge at West Brom. Has he's left them in a significantly better state than he took him. So there is there is probably some value to what he's saying about I would get a bit more respect if I was you know more more palatable to the to the sort of you know the modern way of thinking about football. But I mean, come on. And anyway, he's got into Leeds with four games to go. Leeds at the moment would be my tip to 100% um, be the second of the three teams that are going to go down. Southampton are as good as down. And I think just lead, the fact that Leeds just let in so many goals. They've taken some absolute pastings recently. They've in absolute free fall. Confidences uh, through the floor. And they've got four really difficult... Their last four games, I think, are Man City, Newcastle, West Ham and Tottenham. So I'd say they're going to get a maximum of three points from that without Allardyce. Maybe with Allardyce, who knows? I mean, they've got Man City away tomorrow, so that's a challenge. <laughs> West Ham themselves, you know, right? So they beat Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago, three or four nil down in Bournemouth, and you kind of thought, okay, by then they were then you know five or six points clear of relegation with a game in hand. You kind of think, yeah, they, they're out. You know, they're going to be absolutely fine now. But they've lost the last couple. Teams around them in that time have won. They're now four points clear of relegation but looking at their fixtures this weekend they're at home to Manchester United on Sunday so you'd say there's quite a high probability they're going to lose that game Nottingham Forest this weekend are at home to Southampton who are the team that are definitely going down if Forest win and West Ham do lose they're going to be they're going to be one point behind West Ham West Ham could still get sucked in, and they've got the complication of that they're still in the um, latter stages of the European Europa Conference League. So they've got a two-legged semi-final against, I think it's AZ Alkmaar. So that could be a bit of a distraction and sort of a physical drain on them. So this is 
the best relegation battle I can remember for a long... It's someone big is going down this season. And it's... If I was going to put a fortune on it now, I had to stake my... I would say Southampton, Nottingham Forest and Leeds. But Everton are still right in the shit. Leicester, you keep thinking they're going to move away and they... They're, you know, they're still very much in it. And West Ham are kind of just about on the fringes. Teams above that, I think, are all going to be uh, fine now. Bournemouth, what an... Um, I've been saying all season, just just so if anyone ever makes the, the mistake of thinking that my, my opinions or predictions have any value whatsoever, I would have said all season that 100%, the one team guaranteed to go down to Bournemouth, they're the weakest team in the Premier League. They came up to Anfield and took a 9-0 pasting back in August. Thought, yeah. They did well to get out of the championship there after going down. What an unbelievable job their manager Gary O'Neill has done. So underrated. Because they're a small club that doesn't probably get talked about enough. I mean, Allardyce has this inferiority complex. The manager of Bournemouth, whoa. You know, he should now be talked about as a real sort of rising star, I think, of, of management. Um, a few years ago, he was managing the under-23s at Liverpool. Uh, so, you know... He's obviously had a good schooling. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're going to be safe. Um, and I suppose since the last time we chatted, there's no change really in the situation at the top. Arsenal had a really good win against uh, Frank Lampard, the Tory, and his Chelsea team. Um, so Arsenal responded, as they did last time they lost to Man City. They responded really well with a load of consecutive wins, and they've responded again with real character. But as I said last week, I, I expect Manchester City to win all their matches now. So unfortunately for Arsenal, I don't think it's going to make um, any difference. Um, but it is worth also mentioning that as we recorded this last night, Napoli won Syria. Um, and I suppose that's worthy of comment for a, well, a number of reasons. Firstly, it's just nice to see someone different winning the league in a, in a major European League obviously that's a that's a uh, the Serie A has always been dominated by the powerful northern Italian uh, clubs from the sort of industrial heartland. So Juve and the two Milan clubs in particular, and then if you want to stretch that out, I suppose you know Lazio and Roma would kind of be on the fringes of that. Uh, and Napoli have always been the kind of oppressed team from the south who get kind of, you know, snarled at and looked down upon by the sort of, you know, the elites uh, in the north. And they've always had this uh, huge inferiority and, and well-founded inferiority complex. They found their their saviour, their sort of representation, their pride in the 80s with, with Maradona, who then led them to two league titles in 1987 and 1990 for the first time in their in the club's history the first time a team in the south had won a league and first time you know specifically Napoli but they hadn't won a league since and I think that's one of the I mean to be honest I think most neutral people look at the fanaticism of those Napoli fans and you know what they've sort of been through over the last 33 years and think yeah delighted to see him win it and it's been amazing the way they've reacted Um, so yeah it's just it's just really really good to see it but but as, as as someone who sports Liverpool, I've always kind of had a bit of a an affinity with them because uh, the last season they won the league, 1989-90, was also the last year Liverpool had won the league until we won it in um, 2020. So for a long time, it was like, right, which one of these clubs is going to... It is slightly different in that Napoli in their entire history had only ever won two league titles in a you know that brief period of sort of dominance, the glory days of the 80s. Um 
whereas Liverpool had won 18 league titles. But, <laughs> yeah. but far from that. Yeah, but, but apart from that. But I do think there, there are some parallels in terms of the way in which, in fact, it ties in quite nicely with what we began this podcast talking about, really, in that it's a region of a country that is often you know, spoken about and treated in a very disparaging fashion by the sort of more establishment places and the establishment figures. Um, and as a result, it's a city and a culture that has a very much a, an sort of an internalised view of itself in terms of, you know, fuck everyone else. We are who we are. We're really proud of, you know, we don't we don't identify with the rest of the, the nation that we're based in. We are Neapolitans. We are Scousers. And, you know, we're not, we're not part of you. We don't identify with you. So you can shove your national anthem or you can, you know, whatever the case would be. So, it's, you know, I thought it was fantastic what Napoli did. Um, they've had an unbelievable season and I hope I think you know as I always say about how I, I, I despite being somebody who uh, spends a large a chunk of my life watching Premier League football I think it's really bad for um, European competition to have the Premier League just completely dominate everything and I'd lo- I love the idea that obviously three uh Italian teams made it to the quarterfinal of the Champions League. There's a Milan derby in one of the semi-finals of the Champions League. You could argue that they they all got a little bit fortunate with the way the draw worked out because all of the big hitters are kind of in the Man City, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid um, side of the draw. But even so, you know, the fact is they're still there, they're still alive and kicking. And I would love to think it would lead to a bit of a reboot in the power of Italian football because there has to be a counterbalance to the the ongoing dominance and the increasing dominance of the Premier League. And if it got to a stage where Premier League clubs were just winning the Champions League and Europa League every season, that would be... I don't think it would be good for anyone, really. Um, Even the Premier League itself. Uh, Because I think, you know, the the sort of competition across Europe would, you know, just just leads to a healthy game. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Italian football and great to see Napoli win, you know, respect to them. Uh, and I, I, I hope Inter Milan win the uh, win the Champions League. But I wouldn't pay any money on it, Matthew. <laughs> because it's probably going to be Real Madrid. Uh, <laughs> anything else to add, Matthew, on this coronation special? Do you want to say something royal and supportive of uh, King Charles III? Uh, no, only that Kelly is now gone. So that's why... I think our listeners probably ascertain that, yeah. <laughs> but no, She's dealing with our lodger. Thing. I can only imagine the room service order that our lodger is making is quite extensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The last, last few nights, in fact, pretty much since he's moved in, his room service requirements tend to be almost exclusively milk-based. Yeah. But sometimes he does want new pants. Um, and he wears these kind of weird pants that are sort of like held together by like sort of sticky almost like label things and they're almost like you know they're not really like young people today yeah he's do you know what it is it's entitlement (laughs) you know he doesn't know he's born it's fucking generation what are they called avocados no (laughs) no what's the fucking generation called Zed Zed yes it's them (laughs) yes we're millennials mate you know that yeah, I do know that. We actually are millennials. Yeah. We're at the very beginning of the category that calls itself millennials. <laughs> know, but we are still fucking millennials. Which, you know, <laughs> apparently we're to blame for everything, even though the baby, baby boomers are the ones who benefited from all of the freedoms of this new burgeoning society and European Union membership and then uh, had sort of 30 or 40 years of enjoying 
everything getting better and then just decided yeah we've had enough of that we want to get rid of the immigrants and just voted for us to leave and ruined everyone's lives thanks so much fucking baby boonums anyway happy coronation everyone god save the fucking uh, king and his nonce brother and uh, for this episode of uh, Football on Focus it's time to say goodbye from me and goodbye from Matthew say goodbye Matthew goodbye Matthew goodbye <laughs>